Are adventure and relaxation on your mind? Jump in the car and head to Fauquier County, Virginia this weekend. Just a short drive from D.C. off I-66 and nestled in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Fauquier County has it all, including picturesque hiking trails, Rappahannock River access, plus over 25 wineries, breweries, and cideries. Visit the many unique shops and farm-to-table restaurants of Fauquier County's towns and villages, or take in the many historical attractions suitable for all ages. Check out visitfauquiercounty.com. That's visit, F-A-U-Q-U-I-E-R.com. Fauquier County. Find what you love. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 90. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Monday, Steelers Nation. And Dave Bryan, very nice to be back with you. You're back from your uh, vacation out there to San Diego. Hopefully you had a great time and uh, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks. Uh, good to be back and all. A little time away. I have problems forcing myself to kind of throttle down. Uh, a little bit there, but uh, I was able to do it for, for a couple of days there. Took some tours of San Diego, got to see a minor league hockey game or something I haven't done in a while and uh, went to the zoo and we found some, uh, found a place that has some great seafood, which is hard to do uh, these days, especially out on the West coast. Uh, so uh, able to uh, do that. And uh, the drive wasn't too terribly bad, about five, five and a half hours, but uh, back Back, you always try to pick the perfect time to leave, you know, uh, during the offseason. There's not, you know, thanks to the NFL calendar, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's extremely hard to do. And right after the Super Bowl seems to be the most ideal uh, uh, time. But even so, uh, there was still some news. The news never stops. And uh, you guys had to cover a couple of things uh, while I was gone. I know you talked about one of them with John Mitchell uh, retiring with Josh Carney. And thanks to him for sitting in a, a, on a couple episodes as well, too. And uh, we had some uh, a little bit of news break yesterday that will probably have us just, you know, in, in discussion today as well, too. The news overall has been quiet. It was generally a very quiet week for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but the news that is there is coaching. And so we'll we'll get your thoughts on the John Mitchell retirement here a little bit later in the show. But the news of the day right now is that reportedly Aaron Curry will become the Steelers' new outside linebackers coach. That report came in uh, Sunday evening. If you look at Aaron Curry's uh, bio on Twitter, it says Steelers linebackers coach. And so although it's not been made official, by uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's been essentially made official by Aaron Curry himself, and that should be a familiar name, former first-round pick of the Pittsburgh or the, of the Seattle Seahawks, I should say, back in uh, what that was, 07, 09, somewhere around there. He's been uh, coaching with Seattle for a couple seasons now and, and now appears to be headed to uh, Pittsburgh. And so that is, I, I guess, in some sense, the Brian Flores replacement, although Flores was coaching off-ball linebackers, Curry seems to be more of the edge guys outside linebackers. We're not entirely sure what the uh, exact fit is going to be, but that makes the most amount of sense. So what's your, uh, what what are your quick thoughts and initial takeaways on Aaron Curry? 
Yeah, where's the time gone for starters? <laughs> 2009 uh, first round draft pick. What was that out of Wake Forest, I believe? And obviously, career didn't go. Uh, you know, like like a lot of people thought thought it might there, and uh, quickly, uh, or you know, he saw the writing on the wall and transitioned into uh, into coaching once his NFL careers uh, had ended. He's only, uh, I think, he's going to be what 37 uh, here pretty soon. So a fairly young hire here, and obviously with uh, with Flores uh, going, you know, going out the door to uh, to Minnesota, and 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 John Mitchell uh, retiring, uh, you kind of. I think you had a tweet earlier in the week about boy, the 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 uh, uh, the Steelers coaching staff sure is thin, and by thin you don't mean uh, needing to eat <laughs> <laughs> uh, either. So uh, I think the writing was on the on the wall a little bit that there was going to be you know uh, an addition or two. To the coaching staff this offseason, uh, this was kind of uh, out of, you know, uh, off the radar kind of kind of hiring, if you will. But it does make a lot of sense once you start drilling uh, down into it. And uh, as you mentioned, been working with the edges over there, uh, I guess, more in an in, in, in a, in a assistant role with uh, Seattle. Uh, comes off of a season where they've had a couple of other uh, edge rushers have really good years. And uh, who is it? Owosu, the, the kid that was out of uh, uh, USC. And uh, who was the other one? Who was the other edge over there uh, that, that they had to had nine and a half sacks this, this season? Uh, uh, Dar- was it? Uh, um, the, the Tennessee kid? Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Taylor, what was his name? Let me look it up here real quick for you. It was, yeah, Dar- Darrell Taylor. Yeah, yeah, Darrell Taylor. Yeah, both of those guys had uh, a significant amount of sacks uh, uptick this past season there. So, uh, look, I mean, you, you're looking for a young coach that can work with uh, position group on on the outside, and we don't know for sure that that's going to be his role, but it sure lines up with his past experience and obviously his playing days and all like that. And how nice is it to come in and say, okay, you're in charge of outside linebackers. Here's TJ Watt and and, <laughs> and, and Alex Heisman. See if you can do something with these two. Uh, <laughs> well, a lot of clapping. Good job. Good job. You know, but uh, uh, obviously Obviously, you would expect, you know, that outside uh, linebacker room to look a little bit different from the from a depth standpoint. Once you get past guys like Watt and Highsmith this season, and uh, as, as as you smartly pointed out already, there's a link back to uh, really with with Curry and 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 the University of Charlotte, right? And right. Larry Ogan, Joby. Uh, is familiar with Curry, and I think Hi- Alex Highsmith, his uh, his early uh, what two thousand, what would it have been nineteen or eighteen? No, his first three years, I think, until okay. twenty nineteen. Curry was at Charlotte, um, and and working you know near Alex Highsmith. All right, well there there you go. So uh, uh, they you know those two will obviously be familiar with each other. We'll see what happens. Obviously, uh, Larry Ogan Joby is a, an interior defensive line player and set to be an un, unrestricted free agent this offseason. Don't know how much of impact uh, the addition of Curry will will have on that. Usually, money is the big thing that makes <laughs> the makes the impact there. But uh, uh, outside of that, I mean, I, I don't know much of a. I I, I struggle in trying to find a link. Back to 
you know, Tomlin and Curry uh, overall, although you go back several years ago to some press conferences and when, when Curry was a player, Mike Tomlin having, you know, a few nice things to say about Curry. But outside of that, I don't know if there's much of a, a link there. This just sounds like, you know, Curry kind of an up and comer uh, into coaching ranks. I know he went through the Bill Walsh diversity coaching program that had him uh, see a little bit of time, I think, with Carolina in Cincinnati uh, before he uh, uh, landed with the uh, with the Seahawks over there. It doesn't it sounds like the Seahawks are pretty, uh, you know, from from a most, you know, from the most part, at least from a beat writer and, you know, some blogger aspect that that Curry's considered a loss from their coaching staff uh, uh, when it comes to that. So uh, some new young blood in the room and an and, and interesting hire. And once again, one of those ones that you really didn't kind of see coming, right? Right. Somebody much funnier than me on Twitter made the joke of, if you're a former first-round pick, you will find your way to Pittsburgh, like it or oh. not. You will, you will come to Pittsburgh by, uh, by, by player, by coach. And I just think back, when I think about Aaron Curry, the phrase that always gets stuck in my mind was he was billed as the safest player in that 09 draft mm. out of Wake Forest. And a lesson that there really is no such thing in, in safe players. Now, he was not a terrible player, but he never justified the fifth overall pick that he was. And putting all that aside, him as a coach, yeah, there isn't a whole lot out there about him. I found one couple of clips from a leadership session that I'm going to kind of go through maybe later today on him. But, you know, we'll see what the division of labor looks like. I know that, you know, basically since Joey Porter's been gone, Carl Dunbar, the D-line coach, and Denzel Martin, his assistant, have worked with the Steelers outside linebackers because they're effectively defensive linemen. They drop into coverage, you know, less than 10% of the time. And so that's been the way that they go through practice. And so it appears that Jerry Osavsky will return to kind of full-time work as the inside linebackers coach. Um, Curry's going to work with the edge guys. And then Dunbar um, will, you know, work with the true Defensive linemen, the big, the big guys up front, the Cam Haywards, you know, Isaiah Loudermilk, et cetera. Um, and so maybe they're going to divide that labor up a little bit to get more specific attention. They, they did that with Porter, I guess. So they're kind of returning that, um, to that now with Aaron Curry. So what the connection there is with Tomlin and Curry, it's hard to say, you know, were they at that Wake Forest Pro Day way back when? Maybe we can try to check that. I'm sure there's been interactions over the years and, you know, at different combines and pro days and who knows. Um, there's probably some story that Mike Tallman has to tell, but uh, it seems like it's a, an up and comer, as you said, and a, and a pretty quality hire. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I would imagine what Denzel Mart- Martin probably stays more in a uh, an assistant role. Yeah, he's he's listed as the assistant assistant outside linebackers coach, basically Carl Dunbar's right hand man. Maybe he becomes more of a help to Curry. Okay, so we'll see if they have any more additional hires. You wrote something about uh, a couple of days ago here about if the Steelers did add. Uh, you know, uh, 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 another coach to the offensive side of football, then, you know, it, it's easy to draw the draw the lines back to, to a Byron Leftwich. Yeah, I thought Josh and I had a really good conversation on Friday, and he kind of convinced me of uh, if you're going to, and I'm not advocating necessarily for Byron Leftwich. I know he's coming off a really turbulent year in, in Tampa Bay. But if you want to if you want to throw out their one name, because so many fans and other blog sites have thrown out every name under the sun, including ones that were so pie in the sky, they had no chance of happening like Eric Bieniemy, And now he's the official OC in Washington. But I think left, which makes sense because he's having a hard time finding a job. Um, he could have that maybe assistant head coach label to kind of replace John Mitchell. There's obviously the connection there between Tomlin and left. So I'm not saying it's going to happen, not saying that I am 
dying and pounding the table for it to happen. But just logically, if you're asking me, if you, if you made me choose one name that theoretically could be that senior offensive assistant type of role, I think Leftwich, you know, has all the dots to connect. Right. And it could be a situation along the lines. Of, I just don't want that guy to sit out there, you know, uh, right. Uh, viewpoint from 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 Tom Thomas. Pep Hamilton landed anywhere yet? He has not. I know that some Colts guys said it sounded like that was a logical landing spot. I think Hamilton makes some level of sense, too. But yeah, I think he, maybe he's still seeing what else is out there, especially with Indy. All right. So uh, obviously you're getting close to the annual NFL combine. And look, we've seen things, you know, hires last on into the latter part of February where we're at about right now. So if they were to add, you know, obviously we expect the Aaron Curry news to drop officially uh, either today or tomorrow from the Steelers. And uh, you would think that if they were going to go the route of a guy like Byron Leftwich, uh, in addition, we we should probably know that by the end of the week as well, too, wouldn't you think? Well, maybe after the combine, because that's when everyone gets together, every mm. coach and agent and all that kind of stuff. And so maybe those conversations can uh, can take on some different form there. Um, I, I still expect this team to add at least one more coach to at the very least replace Blaine Stewart um, as either assistant wide receivers coach, last special teams assistant to Danny Smith. Uh, Stewart wore a lot of hats. And so. I'm expecting at least one more hire. Will we see more than that? Then we'll just have to kind of wait on 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 anything above an additional hire. All right. So uh, we'll sit here patiently and see if anything breaks along those lines. Right. But as we mentioned, John Mitchell uh, retiring last uh, Wednesday. And so I know that Josh and I discussed it on the Friday show, but you and I have not discussed it. And, um, you know, what what a coach, what a life, what a legacy. I know he's been in that more reduced kind of liaison role since 2018 when Carl Dunbar became the D-line coach, but Mitchell still had an on-field presence and certainly had an impact on his organization for 29 years. And so I know you're a big fan of John Mitchell, all, all that he accomplished and all that he meant to this Pittsburgh Steelers franchise. Yeah, look, sometimes it comes to, you know, at some point it's got to, it comes to an end and, and they, they move on, right? Uh, uh, on, on with post football life. And Lord knows he's been around, uh, football for most of his life there. Uh, I tell you, just, you know, you can't help but think about when you, when you think about John Mitchell, uh, especially during his time with the Steelers, about, uh, we constantly go back to, uh, his instruction of, boy, you better be running after the football. You know, uh, that's one of the things every time I think about John Mitchell, uh, things that have come up over the years of, 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 of one primary coaching aspect of his was you better be chasing down the football. And it's interesting to read back some of the things that, you know, like oh, uh, Aaron Smith has said, and you know, trying to hide from from John <laughs> Mitchell at times. And, uh, you know, you go back to some of those. Uh, uh, you know, su- most recent Super Bowl teams, and you know, I'm sure uh, 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 nothing bad said from the likes of Aaron Smith and Brett Kiesel and 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 and, and you know Casey Hampton and some of those guys. And obviously, fast forward into uh, the Cam uh, Cameron Hayward years and along those lines. So, man, that guy has seen a lot of football uh, during his years. Obviously, dating all the way back. Uh, to uh, to college time and you know how uh, 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 historically being part of the Alabama program years ago. So uh, I mean, you never you didn't know exactly when it was going to happen when he was going to step away and retire, but you had to know in the back of your head that 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 
that day was coming and that day is now. So uh, just tip you, tip your cap to him for mm-hmm. the, you know, the time that he put in with the Steelers all those years. And I wrote a quick film room on just some of those hustle plays, my favorite hustle plays by some of the defense alignment, not an exhaustive list, but just a couple that back through my timeline and stuff that I remembered of Aaron Smith and Super Bowl 40 running down Sean Alexander, 20 yards downfield to some of the great effort and hustle plays by Cam Hayward and Stefan to to me, two of the best effort defense alignment of the last decade, 20 years, just those guys play all out Hayward, especially. And so those are all the teachings of John Mitchell, who taught so many great players, all your favorite defense alignment of the post steel curtain era, essentially, whether you're talking Casey Hampton, Aaron Smith, Brett Kiesel, Stephon Tewitt, Cam Hayward, Javon Hargrave. I remember Hargrave, as soon as they drafted him, Mitchell came out and said something to the effect of talented guy, good player, got to run to the ball, got to mm. teach him to run to the football. That, as you said, was always the the, the, the teaching point there, always the uh, the point of emphasis. So. You know, the question now becomes, will they replace that that title of assistant head coach? What do you think they do there? Would that be an internal thing, a Dunbar potentially? Would that be an external thing? What do you think, Dave? Yeah, I don't know which way they're going to go with it. I don't, you know, do, do you need a senior, uh, you know, kind of right-hand man, I guess, for Tomlin? I guess we're going to find out. I mean, it obviously could go uh, either way here in, in, in regard to that. Obviously, Dunbar is one of the more uh, senior guys on the staff, so you would think if, if, if they were going to add a title to somebody, it, it would probably be Dunbar. Now, I will say this. I know that when Terrell Austin was first brought in his first couple of years before becoming D.C., he was basically a game day guy that helped Tomlin from the booth with, you know, challenges in clock management, those types of things. I believe Brian Flores had that role last year. I don't know who would have that role for 2023. So if you want maybe an assistant head coach, I know what Mitchell did with some off field type stuff, but maybe you could have somebody that would have that lens and carry that title. And, and that would be a game day type thing. Cause I don't know who on this coaching staff would be maybe somebody that would help Tomlin out um, on Sundays in terms of some of the in-game management. I don't know if there's that, that kind of guy. So that's why another reason why I suggest Lepwich because I think he could potentially, you know, help Pitt, or help Tomlin and Pittsburgh in that regard. Okay. Well, we'll have to see how that all plays out in the next couple, couple weeks here. Right. But again, I'm still expecting at least one in a it, no left, which would not replace a Blaine Stewart in that kind of role. It would be a younger guy, I assume, um, somebody that may be from the college ranks or some other, you know, who knows where, but it wouldn't be a left, which type. So I'm expecting at least one more coaching hire. But even, even if they hire one more coach, they'll be sitting at, I think, 18 total. We're just going to be a very small coaching staff. All right. But we'll see. Uh, let's see what else we have here. I know I have an article today about the problem with Cam Sutton, and I've I've discussed this on the podcast, and I kind of wanted to turn it into article form to get maybe some some reader impact and and, and feedback there. And then, so I won't um, talk about it too much. But just going back to the idea, of, I, I, I'm a big Cam Sutton fan. I do want to resign the guy. It's just that that thought that I can't stop thinking about that you pay this guy, you know, upwards of 14 million per year, which to me is like number one corner type money, but is he truly that number one corner? And if you pay him, do you still feel like we have to go draft somebody to be that top flight corner on our team? That's kind of the, to me, the trickiness when it comes to Cam Sutton. Look, uh, you know, what his uh, market value is during free agency here is, is, is obviously going to be something fun to watch. And uh, he is, you know, made it clear that he would like to remain in Pittsburgh. And uh, the whole thing where I have estimated his market value being in that, you know, 13, 
you know, uh, you know, high end around 13, you know, maybe 14 million at max is all relative to cornerbacks around the league and what they're getting paid along with the fact that the whole supply and demand thing. I, I think I've made that clear uh, over the last couple of weeks that that's why I have his market value uh, where it is. Ideally, would you love to have the guy back at, at, at uh, eight or 9 million? Sure. Absolutely. But uh, if he's allowed to hit free agency, there's going to be some interest in him. You would think, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. A hundred percent. And again, he brings so much value for the versatility. He had a you know career year in 2022. And to me, he's been really underpaid the last two seasons. And he kind of got caught that new deal in that 2020 season when the cap reduced and the avoidable years had to be put in probably not a good time to be asking for, for a new contract. And so, you know, I think certainly he deserves every cent that he gets to me. Let, let me just put it this way. Let's say you pay him 13 and a half, 14 million. How do you not have this guy shadow a top receiver, a Jamar Chase, whoever the top receiver the opponent is? How do you pay that guy a record amount of money for Pittsburgh Steeler and, and, and cornerback history and then have him just play aside? Yeah, I mean, look, and it really goes along the lines, too, if you spend a first-round draft pick on a kid, right? Yeah, I mean, you're going you're gonna to have Sutton not shadow and potentially spend a first-round pick on a cornerback, and you're going to pay this guy $14 million. That's just the issue I have. I'm not saying I, I don't want to pay him. If it takes paying this guy $13, $14 million, I'll probably – you know, do that because I think losing him would be so consequential, but that's just the point I'm trying to make is you're paying him that kind of money. Are you going to actually use him and employ him in that $14 million value though? But look, he's also a, 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 you know, a movable chess piece kind of player too, where you can move him around anyway, you know, uh, slot yeah, wherever, you know, but are, I mean, where, where do you, are, where do you become more comfortable? Where's the price point where you become more comfortable of him not shadowing? Is, is, is that is that where it comes down to? Is there a four million dollar difference? And okay, well he uh, uh, we paying a four four million dollars less than I, I don't expect him to have to shadow. Yeah, if I could wave a magic wand, I would say ten to eleven million. I'd be a lot more comfortable at. And and maybe I know the market is the market. And I talked about what Chavarius Ward got last year in San Francisco, and it is hard to see. Sutton want to take less than that, but we have seen Steelers take less before. Ramon Foss, remember one of those really team-friendly deals. Sutton is a guy that I think truly wants to stay in Pittsburgh, likes being in Pittsburgh, likes being coached by Mike Tomlin, kind of is that introspective guy. Maybe money doesn't mean everything to him, and 10 to 11 million is still going to be double what he's been you know, getting on, on that last contract. So if you're paying 14 million, you play that guy in the slot, if you pay a guy 14 million, that's outside money to me. That's not go cover the slot receiver type money. Yeah, but then then again, there's the whole market value is the market value too. Sure. So, no, absolutely. Uh, uh, look, my my whole look at what his market value is once again uh, is based on the position. Uh, what what uh, what? Look, you're you're gonna have guys off that list here pretty soon. William Jackson the third, thirteen and a half million dollars uh, average yearly value. He's coming off that list. Uh, what's going to happen with 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 Marcus Peters? You know, guy guy like him. Uh, you could probably, uh, you know, two or three others on this list. We'll we'll see what happens to those guys. But you have guys around the league, and like I don't know, Stephon Gilmore with the Colts, ten million, and uh, Stingley with the uh, with the Texans at 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 eight point six. There becomes a point where you know Sutton's looking at it and says, well, "Damn, I'm better than that guy." You know, sure. uh, and, you know, Tra 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 Traverius Ward is a, a prime example. Uh, 
you know, who, who, uh, well, let, let's even look at maybe Shaquille Griffin. We don't know what's going to happen with him. 28 years old, 13.333, you know, million average yearly value, uh, with him. I mean, that obviously that you're looking at this, uh, at several different aspects. You're looking at what, what's happening around him. And you're looking at what are the guys, you know, the, the supply and demand aspect of it when it comes into free agency here. You know, right? No, I I agree, but I will say Pittsburgh has always found a way to get guys a bit cheaper than you think. Deontay Johnson came in with a pretty team friendly type deal. I'll go back to Ramon Foster, but let, let's let's just assume it's fourteen million for Kim Sutton. He gets real market value. Is he going to be just a you know one side cornerback, not going to shadow, still going to go draft a first round corner? It just it doesn't it doesn't. Uh, line up in the sense that you're going to pay this guy all this money and not use him the way that he's getting paid. I guess the counter argument to that would be what happens if you just don't, just don't get this guy resigned. Right. No. And I, I write that in the article. And, and again, I want to make it clear. I want to resign camp Sutton. I, I would love to do it for 10 or 11. If it costs me 13, 14, I'm not going to let a couple million be the reason why I lose Cam Sutton um, because he is so valuable. And if you lose him, then you have an extreme major hole there. I mean, so I'm not trying to say don't sign Cam Sutton. I'm just saying it's a bit awkward to me right? for the reasons that, that I laid out. I, I'm just saying, you know, I, I would just say did the counter argument to, to, to what you're you know, talking about on the sides would be, well, you might not have them at all, you know? Right. But is that, you know, I'm not, is that the good enough reason? Cause you could say that for any free agent. Yeah. It's tough to replace any guys you're going to lose. Um, if, if you're going to pay him though, he's an out to me, he's an outside corner. He's shadowing top receivers. And he's doing that on a weekly basis. I mean, ideally, once again, you'd like to have this guy back around 10 million, right? You know, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think if you look at a realistic viewpoint of what's going on in the market versus, you know, the rise in cap and, you know, uh, that, that kind of thing. And, and I, I just that that's why I have based on the supply and demand and, and looking at what's going on around him. That's why I think, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of. Uh, look, any oh, there is a there is an aspect of it too. Is how much is too much, you know? Uh, sure. And you know, I think you get up, you 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 talk about anything north of fourteen million, you kind of and then hmm, you know, it, 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 is he worth that? But uh, I think up until then, you know, anything as I've stated, any, anything between twelve, I mean, ten and thirteen and a half is really the more realistic aspect of it. I agree. But again, let's say it's 13 and a half, 14 million. Is he going to be a slot guy? Can you justify paying a guy 14 million and, and moving? He, him he needs to be on the field. I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah, yeah. But there's different aspects to sure. covering, you know, a number one receiver on third and 10 versus dropping into a hook zone from your dimebacker spot or inverting to play the, the deep third, you know, as opposed to, you know, manning up against their top corner or top receiver. And so that, that just, when you pay a guy that amount of money, this is how teams think. When you pay a guy that amount of money, you got to get your value out of him. And to me, there's certain requirements that almost come along with paying a guy that amount of money. All right. And we'll look, see. I mean, he, I'm sure he, he would tell you that he's, he's obviously up for the challenge. Should that be what's asked of him? You know? Right. Yeah. And I think he's a, he's a really good corner coming off a really good year, but is he that upper echelon guy that, you know, should shadow a receiver? Is he good enough to justify taking on that top guy consistently? I don't know if he's quite at that level. I think he's just a notch below. I, I'm a big Cam Sutton fan. He's improved so much. Again, all the value he provides. But is he that true number one corner? I I think he's just short of that mark. All right. Well, uh, I mean, look, we 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 fully expect him to get resigned. It's just how much. 
Yeah, I conclude by saying I think he will be back in Pittsburgh, and I really want to see what those numbers are. If it can be a little bit lower than maybe what these market projections are, fantastic. If, if it's not, then how will Pittsburgh use him? Will that rule change? Um, will he be a little more static and really just truly be an outside corner? That'll be something I'll be watching for very closely in 2023. All right. All right, Dave. XFL, the NFL is done, but uh, professional football is not. And so the XFL, uh, which last played in 2020 and then shut down due to COVID and then reopened under new management, uh, highlighted by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. They came back this weekend. Uh, I know you were on vacation. I didn't watch a ton of it. I watched a little bit here and there, mostly just for Steelers interest. You got a couple of former Steelers players coaching in Heinz Ward and Rod Woodson. Ward had a heartbreaking loss in his coaching debut, had some former players playing, um, highlighted by Martavis Bryant, who had just a couple of catches for the Vegas Vipers on Saturday. So we made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, it's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA, what you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. Any thoughts on the XFL coming back in, in their first season in a couple of years and uh, any any takeaways, Dave? Yeah, the most that I was able to watch was after I got home yesterday and able to watch that night game, which was really ended up being pretty entertaining <laughs> between who was it, uh, uh, Seattle and uh, Washington. Uh, I like I mean, some of the rules, I, I think, are very, very attractive. I like, like how they handle so quickly with the uh, with with the reviews and all like that. Uh, I love the uh, one, two and three point. Uh, uh, extra point designation. Uh, we saw how the, at least, you know, I, I, I saw in the uh, 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 highlights and all like that, how, what was it? The St. Louis team was able to score, was it like 15 points in the last two something minutes? And, right. They had the fourth and 15 right. onside kick, quote unquote, conversion. Right. I, I, I like that. There are some aspects of that game that they're doing that I think the NFL really needs to take a, 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 a lot closer look at for sure. And, you know, I, I think, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, extra points have become, especially kicking extra points. I don't know. I guess it depends on the team have become so given type situations that why not eliminate just a flat out extra point aspect of 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 the kicking extra point and and make it where teams do have to have a choice at one two or three uh, uh points you know aspect i like i love that aspect of it uh i don't know how i feel yet about the the, the kickoff rule with having those guys so close together i understand why a the safety factor and b you want you want to see if t- returns can can make a bigger uh, have, have an, a, a bigger impact in game. So I'm not totally against, it's just odd to see them so close together and have mm-hmm. to wait, you know, sure. uh, just, it's just b- because the concept, I guess, is just so foreign. I haven't gotten, gotten used to it. I, I, I obviously can see the benefits in that. I think more, more than I look, some of these guys are, are going to make enough of an impact that they're going to end up signing futures deals and maybe one, two or three of them end up, you know, uh, actually contributing to a team. Uh, I've always been a fan of going way, way back to the, you know, to the old, you know, world league and all like that. Really, really enjoyed the minor league kind of aspect. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever get back to that again, where, where certain players or properties, properties of certain teams, like it was years ago, obviously James Harrison spent time 
you know, uh, K- 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 you know, went through that route and, you know, s- several other uh, players did as well too. So I, I, I don't know if we're, we're close to a reality of that happening, but just XFL and really USFL, you know, kind of lumped into them there. Uh, I, I think just different things that you can try in the game or, or, or something that you, I, I think you could see carry over, uh, you know, to the NFL, make the NFL, they, they've got to find a way to move these games along just a little bit faster for starters. Right. I mean, to have, you know, eight minutes of airtime gone, trying to figure out what a catch is still, right. you know, but do they, I mean, do they need to, you're still going to watch the game. I'm still going to watch the game. No matter how long these replays. Right. Take. But I, but you know, I think they want the more casual observer. They need to move it along more. You know, if they want to make their, their numbers even better, that's how they would go about doing it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's certainly something that they always want to improve upon. You want these games to be more streamlined and not, you know, be so broken up by all these interruptions, but I mean, their viewership is, is ridiculous. Um, but, but point taken for sure. And the XFL, the good thing the XFL is doing is there's actually, and I don't know the exact details, but there's a partnership to some degree with the NFL mm-hmm. where they're working with in terms of the these new rules and health and safety innovations. And so when you have the NFL kind of partnered with you, it's going to hopefully create more stability because the biggest problems with these leagues are financially, it is expensive to have a football league. And usually these teams run out of money and they're hemorrhaging money and it's just really tough to do attendance is never fantastic and just trying to generate revenue is, is a big problem. And so if you can have the NFL kind of maybe support you in some sense and the NFL wants to see you succeed, that's probably going to be a, a good thing for, for your league. And so uh, we'll see. It seemed like a, a good first week overall. And um, yeah, I think some of these innovations in terms of, you know, uh, do you, do you think that the, the standard extra point should be a thing of the past? Well, you're talking to Danny Smith forever over here. Right. So no, I want I want to see that. I want my kickers to be able to kick. I mean, I understand should, it. Should they move I, the I, extra point back then? I think it's fine where it is in the NFL. Ask Dallas if extra points are easy this year. It doesn't feel like that. Um, but I could I could certainly see the NFL in five, 10 years move to eliminate extra points. And we're going to have what the XFL is doing right, right now with kind of different points, depending on where the, the ball is spotted. I could certainly see that being a thing in the future. What what about the uh, the uh, the kickoff and those kind of things? Um, yeah, I could see the kickoff. I think in that health and safety uh, initiative and and always expanding kind of idea the NFL has that could eventually become a thing. I mean, it could be eliminated someday entirely. I could just see that you know being the way the NFL addresses kickoffs by just not having them a decade plus from now. So yeah, I mean, we'll see. I think the XFL is going to again kind of be that that uh, feeder league, that test tube baby to just see what works, what doesn't work in in the NFL will kind of watch it and take what they like from what the XFL is doing. Yeah. It seems like we have this discussion now every, every year about this time. And uh, I would like to see some, uh, I, I I think they get more, even more loyalty to some of the fan loyalty to some of these teams. If it became like, I don't know, 15 players from each team or have property rights, you know, to, 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 to an NFL team or something like that. Obviously there would have to be some sort of monitor. There would have to be monetary reasons to do that, to help, you know, for, for some of these, uh, uh, XFL and USFL teams to, to benefit from it monetarily. I would, I would imagine from the parent NFL club, but I would like to see something along those lines where, all right, well, you spent the year on the practice squad and, 
we own, we, uh, we signed you to a futures deal and you can go, you know, we assign you to go play for this team, you know? Yeah. I guess I, the, the two issues I have with that is if you're trying, if you're, if you're trying to get team or getting, uh, if you want fans to be, a, to watch and tune into your XFL team, it can be harder to do that if you're constantly having all this roster turnover while your good players are going to the NFL and you're just trying to create, you know, some sort of identity with your fan base of this is one of our top stars and he's going to be a star for five years, going to play for our team. That's never going to happen if he's going to get just get tilted up to the NFL. I think the other issue the NFL might might look at, and I know that they've signed some of these guys who played in some of these spring leagues is, can you have a bunch of guys that play football all year round and expect their bodies to be good in December and January and that kind of thing. And there's value to those guys not playing and just working out and then they're ready to go and they're fresh come, come training camp. So, you know, is that sustainable? That that's a question mark. Right. And, and, and look, uh, you know, high percentage of those guys aren't going to make it anyway, you know, but uh, I don't, I don't know if you went to some of these guys and say, look, if it meant playing year around for you to end up on, you know, on a four, you know, three-year contract or something, you know, is it, is it worth, is it something that you'd be willing to, some of these guys will do anything. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The players will be all for it. I think the teams would sit there and say, do we want to, you know, invest in this guy long-term because his body never gets to rest. And some of these guys have worked, the, the Cowboys, who was the Cowboys guy, Tur- Turpin, I forget what his name is, but I mean, he, he had a really strong year in Dallas. So some of these guys can work, but an offensive lineman playing all year round, is that really going to be, is he going to be fresh come January? I doubt it. Look, I'd rather watch one of these games like I watched last night instead of watching that NBA All-Star game. <laughs> the Celebrity All-Star game actually wasn't terrible. I didn't watch it. I just saw highlights, but DK Metcalf is a freak. And just that was just mm-hmm. kind of fun to watch him. Uh, the, the, the the number one goal that all these feeder leagues, these spring leagues have to have is obviously beyond just being financially healthy, decent quarterback play. If your quarterback play sucks, it's a really right. hard league to watch. And so trying to figure out how do you do that? The NFL has their own issues with finding good quarterback play. That's a problem. Let me ask you just one specific question. I know that none of us have the answer to that, but Martavis Bryant playing for the Vipers, kind of his first professional football since, I mean, he's bounced around quite a bit, but in a long time, will Bryant ever even make a return beyond an NFL roster again in any capacity? Yeah, I, I would have to say no at this point. Okay. It would would yeah. be my guest. I mean, look, you even have, uh, who's the, uh, who's the other kid that played last night for, uh, that, that had the drug issues in the NFL. Josh Gordon. Uh, yeah. Gordon, you know, and he kind of looked like a little bit of a shell of his former self too. Yeah. Right. Although Gordon kept coming back to the league. It's crazy that Gordon did get a bunch of chances and Brian got his chances, but, but Gordon got more. I mean, I assume if Brian's playing in this league, I imagine he has some aspirations to want to get back in the NFL. I mean, I know, I don't even know where he's at in reinstatement and all the you know pitfalls that he's had, but I imagine it's a thought if he's back here playing in the XFL. Man, how old is he even? He's 31 30, now. Yeah, but he, I mean, mileage is pretty low. It's been not working that much the last couple of years. And uh, man, I just uh, kind of uh, Le'Veon Bell just turned 30 or 31 a couple of days ago as well, too. Where's what's again? Where, where's the time gone? You know? <laughs> yeah, now he's in his whole boxing thing. I mean, if. if if the NFL would let him back in, I think Bryant would do. And I think some team would take a chance, even if it's just a training camp, 90 man roster. Let's see what this guy's got. Yeah, he's 31, but the dude's barely played football. So he's got, you know, 28 year old legs. I mean, you know, it, the, the the weed is now essentially legal in the NFL. You're not going to get suspended for it. So that's not a concern. I, mean, I think a team would, would give him a shot. I, I just wonder, look, I mean, it's hard enough to get one of these uh, 
you know, leagues to stick. I, you know, is it going to come down to either XFL or, or, or the USL? I would like to see one of them stick. I just don't know if there's going to be enough to support. And always the first week is, is hard to judge because there's always this synergy related to them. Mm-hmm. And look, they had a great, uh, uh, rambunctious crowd there in Washington, you know, throwing the lemons and, <laughs> uh, the beer snake and, and obviously that, that was actually fun to see. Yeah. It, it looked like that. I mean, at least that one game and that one game only, it looked like the fans were, 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 were really enjoying that. So, uh, obviously the more weeks that you get into it, uh, you know, the football has to be good enough to, to, uh, mm-hmm. to, to, uh, sustain the viewership. Absolutely. I will say in my very small minded, uh, you know, amateur read of the situation, I think the XFL has a better shot than the USFL for two reasons. One, that partnership with the NFL and two, they have the rock and the USFL does not have the rock when you have mm-hmm. kind of that celebrity guy that can help, you know, create headlines and noise and promote things. That's always a good thing to have in your corner. All right. So we'll, uh, kind of our yearly conversation related, related to that. We'll, we'll see if we're still talking about it much, a couple of weeks from now, once the combine and free agency and, and obviously the draft get closer. And I'm with you. I want uh, NFL Europe back, bring back the rain fire, bring back mm-hmm. all those teams that that was perfection to me. Did they I, play at the same time as the NFL? Was that, was that a fall league as well? It was that a spring ball. Kind oh of man. I, I don't even remember if it, if it, how do we find the rain fire schedule? I think, I think it was at the same time. Yeah. I have to look. Now, it looks like it was in June, in July. Wait, no, this doesn't make sense. This is this is something else. Um, I'd had to go back. It'd been too many years uh, for, for, for me to remember. How exactly. do we find this? Jim Tom Sula is coaching the rain fire right now, which I didn't know. That's apparently something that's happening anyway. I, I, but that was to me the uh, the ideal thing because it was a true feeder league. And again, James Harrison. You know, being one of those actually who was um not that that was something else, but yeah, James Harrison being one of those uh those top names to play there. All right, all right. What else do we have here, Dave? I think that's all that I had. Anything else that you want to talk about? Anything else that that's on your mind after your um your vacation? I didn't get to to listen to the episode yet, but uh, what did you guys think about? Uh, I wrote about Chase Winovich the other day, and I think uh, Jonathan Heitrer kind of tacked on another. Uh, kind of semi-related article about guys that the Steelers have had had past interest in uh, through the pre-draft process. I mean, you know, a guy like Chase Winovich makes a lot of sense if you could get him cheap enough, which I would I would imagine that would be the case at this point. Yeah, I think Josh and I were open to the idea. Um, should be pretty cheap, you know. Bring him in. Uh, does that preclude this team from drafting somebody? No, I don't think you're arguing that case either. It just no. In fact, right, right at the start of that article, it wouldn't hurt my feelings to see them do both. You know, and and right. you, know, you and I have talked about that outside linebacker room. It seems like three consecutive off seasons now about how how it needs to be deeper. I would like to see them add, you know, a, a, a player better than a Malik Reed. Right. Uh, and on top of it, invest and look, you know, they went out and, you know, got Quincy Roche back in the fold, uh, this off season. We'll, we'll see what happens there, but, uh, you know, I, I, it wouldn't hurt my feelings to obviously see them throw another draft pick at this position too, because look, you're going to need somebody to play special teams. We'll see what happens with the contract of Alex Highsmith later on this summer, but they, they've got, we, we saw the impact of losing a guy like TJ Watt, obviously you're not going to, you know, you, you don't want, you know, you, you better be prepared 
to, to handle such a situation of losing one of your starters, you know, a lot better than, 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 than the team uh, was in position to do so this past, past season here. So uh, look, it, 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 you know, uh, are the better years for Chase Winovich behind him at this point? Possibly. I mean, he has struggled with the hamstring injuries the last couple seasons. Be interesting to see what could happen if he got a, a full healthy season, you know, and be, be able to play, I don't know, 200, 300 snaps at most along those lines. Does he have enough where he could give you, you know, something on one or two of the special teams units? That's always something that has to be taken in consideration. And look, even if they didn't go him specifically, you know, I think one of the guys that, you know, Jonathan Hytrader has mentioned and a guy that I had my eye on, you know, several years ago too, that, you know, uh, and, and Andrew Van, uh, uh, Van, uh, Van Wink, uh, yeah, uh, obviously another Wisconsin product there. Uh, that guy's probably not as solid, at, at, you know, not as big uh, at, uh, of a body edge rusher run defender, but I he's held his own, uh, in, you know, since coming into the NFL. More than anything, he's a guy that you definitely, I don't think, would mind being out there on special teams. So uh, could it be a situation where it's like a Chase Winovich or a Van Grinkle? I, I think it's possible. Yeah, I think having that veteran guy to come in and, and compete, I've talked about as much as anybody, the need to add depth. It's it's really been woeful since trading Bowen Ingram. I guess that the issue with Winovich is, and he's got some decent tape, he's a good hustle player, but one sack over the last two years. I know there's been some injuries in there, but mm-hmm. is that gonna is that gonna is that guy gonna be a number three outside linebacker? I mean, is that where he can be for your team? Maybe, but the production recently has been pretty, pretty light. Right. He has missed a handful of games with that hamstring, too. So, I mean, uh, now he did. I, I went back and took a quick peek of his tape. Uh, his 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 best play last year came in those last four games when he was finally seemingly more healthy, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Uh, and I think his sack came within, within that time frame as well, too. So uh, those other games, I think he really was battling through that. You even go back to the year before that. Uh, missed a handful of games with a hamstring as well, too. So uh, the hamstring is going to be the, one of the big questions with him. And and the fact that, look, uh, uh, his market value should be depressed anyway. You right. know, so it's not like you'd have a lot invested in him. But, you know, had I told you, and obviously you don't know this would be the case, but, but had you had 100% uh, healthy Chase Winovich last year versus, uh, you know, 100% healthy Malik Reed, which one would you have taken? <laughs> well, that's a that's a layup. I'll take one of them. Right, right. You know, and look, if they sign him, you know, do you throw the parade? No, but based on what this team has done when it has come to the outside linebacker position the last couple of years, you know, outside of going out and getting a guy like you know Melvin Ingram that that unfortunately you couldn't keep, you know, uh-huh. uh, they and I still think there's a good shot that you end up signing high Smith to a, to a contract extension later, later this offseason. They just need to try to do a better job with the available cap money they have to throw at it, to get themselves in a better position to handle a guy missing one, two, three games uh, in, 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 in Watt or high Smith. Right. They need some options. They need some flexibility. They didn't really have that last year and that certainly impacted them. And obviously, it's easy to draw the lines back to people that they've had interest in in the past. And Winovich is one of those guys. 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a good suggestion and certainly a name to keep an eye on once free agency starts in just a couple weeks from now. It's coming up in about three weeks. So uh, right around the corner. All right, Dave, any other things you want to talk about or do you want to get to some reader emails and close out today's show? Yeah, I think we can get to see what's going on in the uh, email machine here. Let me pull that up real, real quick here. Let's see. Uh, Joe Marone says, hey there, Dave and Alex, I'd like to hear your opposing reasons if you have them. And I'm going to assume you do on why teams and more specifically, the Steelers don't try to package a large group of picks like rounds five, six and seven, and maybe even round four in some fashion to move way up into rounds three and four to try to target players that are more shoe in starters and then hit undrafted players hard for depth role players. He says, I'd much rather have three or four much more solid players than some deep draft guys who rarely have impacts. He says the Brett Kiesels are rare. Sometimes I get sticking with your lot, but teams like Houston need a lot more than us and can maybe stand to drop back and have a larger pool. They need to sift through. He says, I await your response. Joe from Queens. Look, I mean, you could flip this argument too, though, with, 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 with a team like Houston, you say, well, they, they need a lot more so they could stand to have uh, to drop back and have more of those, uh, you know, say round five, six or seven players too. But if you're looking at it from a perspective of, uh, you know, uh, okay, well, they need more mud to throw up on the, uh, on the wall. Uh, you know, the, the, the argument still stands that what usually comes out of those picks anyway, you know? So uh, is there a good door? Look, I, if you like a, my, my, my viewpoint on this is, just cut and dry across the board. If you like a player so much, then if it meant, you know, move, and I'm talking more middle round, you know, third, fourth, fifth, you know, round player. If you like him a lot and you, and you think he, he is, he can be that guy and become a starter, then you should try to go up and get him. Now that said, uh, you look back to to what happened with Loudermilk a couple of years ago, you know that that seemed to be a more well he has the right body type, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so so that, but I mean, let's not also forget that this team moved up a couple. What did they give up to to move up a couple spots? Get Mason Rudolph a couple of years ago. Yeah, they moved up. I think it was about four spots. They jumped the Bengals. I forget what they gave up specifically. It was a late round pick, though. Sure. Uh, and how you know how I, you know. I don't, it's easy to judge these things years later. Right. But, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, if you like a guy round three, four or five, you know, let's say round three or four, I think where's where, where Joe's argument seems to be. Yeah. You should try to go get him. Now you don't want, want to overpay for it either. And that's something the Steelers will probably never, never do is, is overpay. But if you like a guy and you think that's your guy and he can become a starter, then I think you should should move up and it'll be interesting to see if this team is more apt to trade up or trade back or uh you don't know what's being offered it's an impossible right. question to kind of, you know we'll we'll be asked this you know 80 different ways between now and the draft should the Steelers trade up or trade down or what have you and those things are so hard to predict because you don't know what's being offered out there and there's probably a handful of teams out there too that probably don't wouldn't want to trade with the Steelers, 
you know, in division or whatnot, even though it has, you know, happened. Uh, there's so many variables involved that we don't know about that it's impossible to, to give a, uh, anything other than just a speculatory answer on. When somebody from now on, when somebody asks me, and as you said, we're going to get a million of these questions probably tonight in our live stream, be at our live stream tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern time. When somebody asks, should the Steelers trade up or trade down? I will say maybe because I don't know. I mean, maybe. I mean, there's reasons that depending on the board, depending on what the offers, depending on your roster, depending on for agency, depending on a million other factors, the strength of that particular position group in this class. Maybe you can't say yes or no until it's actually draft day. I will say. Just talking about Pittsburgh specifically and Kevin Colbert, they did this a lot, including with Loudon, including with Mason Rudolph, Schmarco Thomas years back. They traded up for him, mid-round kind of guy. Then they trade up for um, was it Alameda Tiamu? Did they trade up for him way that's, back when? I think in the question. third round that was Might also have. did not work out well. Actually, there's a there's a there's a pattern happening here when they trade up. Usually for guys that didn't um end up being all that impressive, except for first round guys, not Devin Bush, but Holmes and and Troy Polamalu, but. Uh, think about Joe Schober. Think about Avery Williamson. Think about those guys. Malik Reed trading not for in, in the draft, but trading late day three capital for quote unquote more proven NFL players. And so there's been a lot of times so when Pittsburgh hasn't had a lot of day three capital, including this year, because they've dealt those picks. Now, sometimes you know, compensation picks become the calculation. They assume they're going to get some stuff back and that allows them to be more flexible. But um, I would say Cobra was actually pretty aggressive trading day three picks, sometimes for prospects, but also sometimes for actual. Uh, veteran players. So I think it's a strategy this team has employed uh, quite often towards the end of Kevin Colbert's career. I wonder if now, you know, with, with Colbert out of picture, if you might see more aspect of, uh, look, we're not zeroed in. We're, we have four or five guys at this one spot, let's say round four that we can live with. Uh, we would be more open to entertaining, acquiring some more picks to get one of those three or four players that we know that we're going to get. Yeah, I would say, you know, we'll have to see again, maybe, but I think Weidel and Khan will be more open to trading down just because Kevin Colbert almost never traded down. And right now you do have that big void between the fourth round and your first of two picks in the seventh round, no pick in the fifth, no pick in the sixth. That's a pretty long wait. And so trading down to get a pick there would make sense. Kevin Colbert only traded down what three times his entire tenure and that's any round only once in the first round and his last trade down occurred in 2010 so just based on the math and the odds alone was that the mike see. wallace year in 2010 what when was, uh, the mike, when was the mike was wallace? that a year before i know that i think 2010 was they traded down with denver at the end of the second round i think the broncos took like richard quinn a tight end who did nothing for for denver i forget what pittsburgh got out of that didn't deal. they get I the offensive say. lineman and uh then uh that, that didn't stick that went to the bills and then Urbic. Uh, yeah. Urbic wasn't that, uh, I'm gonna... I, I don't remember the details. I know 2010 was the last time they did it. I want to say it was Denver. Maybe that happened a year or two earlier. Um, we're going, okay. Down that a... was the 2009 draft. Okay. Then that I'm thinking about there with Urbic. And then wasn't that also the same year that, uh, Mike Wallace, uh, Let's see here. The Steelers that year obviously had Ziggy Hood uh, in the first round. Uh, from they traded their second round pick at sixty four to Denver, and they there drafted is. Richard Quinn there. And then they had a couple of third round picks. Then at that point, 
that they went Urbic at 79 overall, then Mike Wallace at 84 overall. And they also had another third round pick that year, went to Keenan Lewis at 96 overall. Together, we pieced it together. Just took us a minute. Yeah, 2010, the last trade down, it was with Arizona. It was, I'm trying to look at the details here. Oh, that was the whole, uh, wasn't that the, uh, was that the uh, McFadden? Yes, it was Pittsburgh trading a fifth to Arizona for cornerback Bryant McFadden and the sixth round pick who turned out to be Antonio Brown. Right, right. And the team did trade up for Alameda Tiamu, by the way. Okay. And uh, that was a, a massive mistake. So. I mean, look, you could go by, go through this year by year. And uh, and once again, it, it, it's the type of thing that we get asked about quite a bit during every offseason. It, it just it's so it, it, it's impossible to give an exact answer, you know, because you don't know, you know, what group or group of players maybe they might be focused on you don't know what's coming in as far as trade offers and you know i guess i guess just the question should be you know should they overpay to move up to get a player they like and uh, and i i'll leave it at this if there's a player out there and you know people say well they they damn sure uh, like devin bush but you know they they took a shot at him it was a guy that they liked and and you know, they, they moved up and gave up the, the draft capital, move all the way up to make sure they got them. And they did. And it obviously didn't work out very well. But I mean, I, I will never, uh, I will never criticize them for going up to go get a player that they want until mm-hmm. four, four years after the fact. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> fair point. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Joe. I think I, I stopped answering your question a while ago. So I apologize. I took us down this, this giant rabbit hole. Um, yeah, I, I I would just take a little bit of issue with the language. I know it's just in the email and you're not trying to be like super precise about it, but the idea of trading up for a shoe-in, the NFL draft, there are no shoe-ins. Again, right. Aaron Curry wants the safest player in the draft. Not 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 so. And as the names we're talking about, Rudolph and Shmarko Thomas and Tamu, you know, guys that were higher round picks but didn't really, you know, get great return on investment. So to me, you know, it maybe, depends on the board. maybe is the correct answer, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe is the, the long and short is maybe is the correct answer. All right, uh, Pastor Joe Green writes in, Dave and Alex, if you were given the option to sign Zach Gentry or Jesse James to a contract with similar dollars in time frame, who would you choose and why? Is there another free agent that you would uh, that you would prefer? Thank you for the stellar comment. I mean, look, just in their presence state and form right now this minute if we're if we're playing zach gentry to jesse james apples for apples uh similar dollars in time frame and all i i mean i i think i would take zach gentry because he's been in the system he's younger uh yada yada uh i'm not i'm not throwing a parade for either one of them i'll tell you that at this point uh and he says, is there another free agency? I haven't really looked at the free agent at tight ends out there. Uh, look, I, I, and I had a, you know, here, here's my thought on the tight end position. And I've brought this up several times. Now, do I think they're going to be in a position where this ends up with a, like a Michael Mayer or whatnot, you know, in the first round? Probably not because you've got a number one, obviously in Pat Firemuth. I just, he, he, here's my thoughts. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with bringing Zach Gentry back, but if you do and it's over X amount of dollars, then you're not you're not going to go another route 
there. Mm-hmm. I just feel that the, the current state of that tight end room, especially from a run blocking aspect, could could stand to be improved, period. End of story. Now, does that mean the big kid Darnell Washington out of Georgia? Uh if I, and you know, I don't have a good, uh, yeah, I, it kind of feels like maybe third round for him from where we sit right now. I don't know, maybe late, late second round. I, I don't know where his exact, uh, 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 draft spot would, or ideal draft spot would be right now. I will just say this. They could use a better blocking tight end. I view Zach Gentry as a guy that's at his ceiling personally now and i would be careful with the amount of if i did resign him the guaranteed money that i give i would not go out and get i would not sign jesse james in lieu of zach gentry i'll answer Mm -hmm. that part of the question there but i contend that this team should do everything in their power to make the depth of that tight end room better just in the same breath that we talked about the outside linebacker depth when it comes to that room. Sure. That's fair to answer the question. I'm with you, Dave. I would take Gentry over uh, James for the reasons you outlined. The question becomes, what do you want the role of your number two tight end to be in your offense? For some offenses, that is an integral part. Guy's going to be playing 600, some snaps going to be a big part of the pass game, part of the play action game, part of the run game. Obviously in Pittsburgh, it's been a little little bit less than that. It's kind of more that pure blocking role. Um, Gentry has that unique size at six, seven, six, eight, that can, match up against these big four, three ends. And I think but he's not great at it. I thought I, he I was don't. better in 2021 than 20. I thought he had a kind of a down year this past year. I'm with you there. Okay. But he does have that size and it's hard to find. It's hard to replace a guy that that's six, eight, just for that size aspect alone. The guy that's six, three might be a good blocker, but when he's going against a six, five, you know, 300 pound defensive end, it's a matchup that guy's probably going to lose more often, not no matter how good of a blocker, no matter how technical of a blocker he is. Um, other names, I just started to do kind of my Steelers for agency wish list. This, not, this is not the actual list. I'm just writing down names that kind of strike me. I did have James as one of them just because he's that former Steeler. If Gentry does go, you could see that happen. Also mentioned uh, Drew Sample and your favorite Foster Moreau, but uh, Sample and Moreau a bit smaller than right. Zach Gentry. Right, and I don't think for one for one there's much of a gain and then, look, I you know I'm I think you can get a little bit more out of Foster Moreau in the passing game, uh, right. uh, but you know one for one as a blocker, I, you know, it, it, probably a pretty even trade off there. Yeah, Moreau wouldn't be to be that. That would kind of change the offense, the scope of that number two tight end of Bay. He, he would be more than just a gentry pure blocker. If you wanted your offense to be that again, it's a question of what you want your offense to look like. Uh, Sample is kind of more that true and blue blocking type, but he's also a bit smaller. He's about six four and a half. Uh, so he doesn't have the size that Zach Gentry possesses. Uh, And I'll I'll just end with this. I would like to see that tight end room uh, get be be better this offseason, if at all possible. Do you think Zach Gentry gets re-signed? I mean, I think he does, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be one hollering for a parade to be thrown if it happens. You won't be grilling and chilling. No, that gentry be, gets resigned. Look, it's going to be hard. Those two love people. Uh, <laughs> and, and here's the thing. We, we, when we saw Jesse James leave a couple of years ago, right? And and we've seen a couple other uh, tight ends lately. You know, is the tight end market one of those ones that just a little bit overflated, uh, overinflated? 
it was when James got paid. He got paid so much money, and I still don't know how that happened. And that was a big whiff by by Detroit. You know, so uh, you know, if you give me an opportunity to get a guy like, and obviously the draft comes after free agency too. You know, so that that's another thing to consider. But I would be more apt to, you know, draw a line in the sand when it comes to a guy with gentry as far as market value goes. And if I can't get him at this price or below then then I, I turn my attention to the draft with him. And then, then if I don't get it settled the way I want to in the draft, then I look at the remaining guys out there that way. Sure, that's fair. I think the reality probably is Gentry gets re-signed for like a two-year, $7.5 million deal and Pittsburgh calls it a day. I think that might be a little bit... I, I think it's too much? Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that that won't be the price. I'm just saying I feel he's hit his ceiling. You know. Okay. Yeah. I mean, what what number would you want to put on it? <laughs> <laughs> About a million and a half a year. Yeah, I think with you him. can say that. Yeah. But like you said, the tight end market can be a little wonky and uh, he's still, still pretty young. So I'm just kind of making up numbers, but something like that. And look, he, d- d- has he held on longer than I thought he would? Yeah, absolutely. But I just I, I really feel with watching what he did last season, it feels like he uh, it feels like you're just settling for if you bring him back and and. Uh, uh, in doing so, I don't, it's hard to imagine that you're going to get much more out of him in the role that he played from a quality snap standpoint. If you do resign him fair, yeah, he's, he's going to be just a pure blocking tight end 90% of his, you know, that's 90% of what he does. The the thing is though, if Pittsburgh and they do, they do like him for his size, right? They do like how big the guy is. If you, if you lose him, how many six, eight tight ends are, are, are out there for you to go replace him with? Right, but I, I all I care is what the end result is on the field. You know. No, I know, but I mean, again, if you're a six four, two hundred and forty five pound tight end, you might be a really good technique of a blocker and have good leverage. If you're facing Cam Jordan, you're facing you know Sam Hubbard. It's a tough battle to win. It's just you know mass. Okay, uh, but it, it, it's just one of those things, along with the outside linebacker room, that I really think they could stand to, uh, to, to 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 make that room those two rooms better this offseason. Yeah. Fair enough. We shall see. All right. Uh, Brian Tallini writes in. Good morning, Dave and Alex. I really enjoyed listening to the roundtable shows. Uh, My question, I think most of you guys uh, would agree there are better odds in drafting a wide receiver this year than not. That being said, how important do you feel versatility is for any wide receiver we could potentially be drafting? Obviously, there will be some competition in the slot, but do you want to be looking at someone that can play outside too? Uh, if Calvin Austin is the clear-cut winner of the slot and Boykin is brought back as our special teams ace, don't we want somebody who could back up multiple positions? multiple positions. Look, I think in today's NFL, uh, it's more of an advantage. The more you can move those guys around all of them. And I think the Steelers have tried, you know, have shown that, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're not afraid uh, to to move some of these guys around. Obviously some of these guys are better in one position, you know, uh, uh, over another one, you know, Deontay Johnson's a much more better utilized guy uh, as as the back, backside X than he would probably be as the Z or, or or in the slot and all like that. So uh, play, here's here's my view on the wide receiver position when it comes to the Steelers and, and, and the draft. And remember, as much as we'd like to think that we know about Calvin Austin at this point, we don't know anything. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it all, all, all we we're still working off of 
uh, what limited amount of stuff Alex got to see in training camp. And then obviously uh, the kids college college tape. And, you know, I think even Tom Mead was the one that, that, that broke him down. So this is a kid that played both, both the, both the slot and, you know, the Z and maybe even a little bit of X when he, when he was at Memphis there, uh, you know, how often are you going to use a guy like him, honestly, outside of the Z though, plain and simple. Because yeah, of that not, size. not often, um, occasionally, but he did a little bit outside work in camp. But yeah, not, not often. I mean, as you said, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, these guys have to be versatile. We're kind of past the AB days of he's the X receiver and, and that's how it's going to be. And we're pretty static overall. Um, guys have to move around. And so, they, they, as you said, it's always best fit in, in primary roles, but the secondary roles increase, become more important. And so you got to be able to move around because if one guy can't move, then then you can't move the other guy because they have to be, both be able to, to to shift and move around. Otherwise, everyone becomes static. So versatility is important. And look, Gunnar Olszewski gets the try hard award uh, uh, somewhere. Uh, if there were such an award last season for the Steelers when asked, it's not his fault. He was asked to do some things that probably don't best fit his style uh, there, but. I mean, you could do better, uh, better than that. My, my view on the wide receiver position too, man, I, it just, it kills me to see them have to carry six at the position. Yeah. I mean, I think last year they kind of were running out of things to do with Gunner and then you had Steven Sims and the, the roles and styles were kind of redundant. Um, yeah. But you got to call that the Ray Ray McLeod role or award because that's what uh, Ray was trying to do, you know, two years ago. So, you know, didn't work out well. I mean, I would say that, I think slot is the biggest primary need because mm-hmm. it's really kind of a void there. You have your outside receivers in, in Johnson and Pickens. So, you know, ideally I want a slot guy, but then of course the more that they can offer beyond just playing in the slot, the better. If they do draft a wide receiver this year uh, in the first, let's say four rounds, I would, I would like to think that that guy's primary would be more of a, a, a bigger slot you know, at least bigger than, than, than Calvin Austin. But on top of that, have some versatility aspect of him coming out of college where he can be moved around a little bit. Yeah, I think in terms of who those guys might be, just spitballing a Parker Washington from Penn State, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think makes a lot of sense from Ohio State. Uh, Jaden Reed from Michigan State, I think also is a pretty strong fit. Those are some names that are pretty attractive to me playing in the slot next year. Right. And, and, you know, the odds are good that they will draft one because there had been too many years dating back to when, 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 when Kevin Colbert came along that they haven't drafted at least one. Right. I would expect them to draft one this year. Within the first four rounds. Uh, maybe I'll give you that answer. I don't know. Okay. Uh, probably, but it's a little bit, it feels like it's a little bit deeper class, you know, uh, at yeah, least it's once not you super... get past the top, top heaviness of it. I don't think that's super top heavy word, isn't it? Like it's kind of lacking those couple of superstars, but I think there's some good depth to the class. Okay. Ben Stelts writes in. Hi, David Alex, longtime listener of the show here. First time emailing. Just love everything you guys do. Thank you for that, Ben. I know it's better if these are short, so here it goes. Would you consider bringing Bud Dupree back if he is cut by the Titans due to his large cap number back? Uh, back on a Miles Jack, a Kella Witherspoon uh, type of deal. He says, appreciate the hard work you guys continuously put in. Looking forward to another great season for 2023. Uh, if we're talking, because you know, you're talking two different price points here when you're talking about Miles Jack and a Kella Witherspoon, you're talking Miles Jack at 8 million. I would say absolutely not. 
for 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 Bud Dupree on an eight million dollar deal. I think where it becomes more entertainable would be on more of a Witherspoon four million uh, type of deal. But even so, if you sign Bud Dupree, you're not going to get him on the field for any special teams. I don't mm-hmm. think. Uh, so then it becomes a guy just sitting there waiting to play, you know, 12 to 20 snaps. Obviously, you know, you want a guy more experienced out there. I just feel for what the money and I just got done talking about, it. boy, I'd like to see this, this outside linebacker room uh, 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 be improved. I, I still think unless Bud Dupree is willing to play for a you know, vet minimum, I think I'd pass on that. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot of immediate interest there. I understand, you know, good scheme fit, know this guy pretty well. It's just, he's how old now? How old's Bud Dupree? I know he's not super old, but. I mean, he's got to be right there at 28, 29, 30, right? Yeah, and he's had the knee issues and never seemed to get right. He 30. is 30. He's wow. 30. Where, once wow. again, we're, we're in the. Where's where's the time going? Aspect? Yeah, so thirty with the knee injury. That's really too, that's too much. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably pass. I would, I would, I I would definitely pass for him for anything over the minimum. And uh, and once again, I just talked about how I'd like to see that room. But I mean, he's he is a guy that would be pigeonholed into being on your roster, and obviously, you'd want your you know. You want to alleviate any playing time you can with 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 with, with, with TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith, but for the price it would probably cost versus the amount of snaps that it, that that you know the the perfect plan would include him playing. I I would pass. I think. Yeah, I really they just got to draft a guy. They draft so well. The free agents have not worked out as well, and even if they do work, they're short term, one year if that kind of things. And by the next year, you're asking yourself the same question: How do we get depth? Go draft a guy. Like Pittsburgh doesn't miss at that position. So just go draft somebody in, on day two, have that guy on there on a cheap four-year deal, and you'll be good to go. Right. I agree. David uh, Ricard says, as always, thank you for the work. Uh, you're easily best source of Steelers news out there. Now now that Brandon Hunt has moved on to the Eagles, are the Steelers eligible for a comp pick for his departure? That would be a no. Uh, I think I missed the news where he left, and I'm I'm hoping you can provide some additional context there. I know he was a favorite for the GM position last year, which ultimately went to Omar. It's almost like we swapped Hunt for Andy White. I guess that's one way to look at it, right? That's basically what happened. Yeah, he left shortly after Khan and White were named GM and assistant GM last year, and so we knew that as soon as Khan you know got the job over Hunt, Hunt was gonna. Going to leave, didn't know where he was going to go. The Eagles had expressed interest, I don't know, about five, six years ago. So he's back. And what is his what is his title? I forget what exactly his uh, title is. Director of Scouting is what the Eagles are calling him. I, he was at the Senior Bowl. Mike Tomlin talked to him. So it doesn't seem to be like there's any any hard feelings. But Hunt left uh, shortly. So that would have been, I guess, June of last year. Uh, he says, on a personal note, I'd like the, the slightly less old school approach Omar has taken even in the limited sample size we have. He says, I especially like the extension of Deontay Johnson earlier in the offseason than we were accustomed to under Colbert. He says, I'm an optimist, so take that for what it's worth. Uh, look, I mean, it, it will be interesting to see how they handle some of these guys once they immediately get past the free agency aspect of it. Uh, obviously, uh, free agency comes first then draft and then right after that uh would probably be the the prime time to look 
to see. I mean, really, when you're talking about guys that are that are prime for for extension this this off season, it's Alex Highsmith. Plain and simple. That's that that's it. That's the list, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the only name that I can see. So, you know, uh, we I, I I'm with I'm with Dave in in the aspect that I would like to see them get this done earlier rather than later. Sure, I would too. It just depends. It takes two to tango and how well does Highsmith's agent want to get a deal done and are they going to kind of wait because maybe some other pass rusher gets paid later in the summer and that'll increase the market value for Highsmith set another benchmark. I don't know. So it seems to be what Con wants to do and I, I'm all for that, but we'll just have to wait and see. And I think they, Dave uh, records uh, the other thing, interesting aspect to see is, is how quickly maybe they do some of these off-season restructures of guys like Watt and, and Minka uh, just from a, oh, that's interesting because normally they, 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 you know, generally, unless there's a roster bonus involved uh, in here, they normally, those things dip into training camp time and all. So it'll be interesting to see if they just go ahead and get those knocked out earlier than they have in past. Right. One other just quick aside about Andy Weidel. Interesting note that I know Matthew wrote up today from The Athletic that apparently Weidel uh, makes his board not with grades. Usually we hear about, you know, there's there's a grade uh, assigned to a player, but Weidel has it based on a role, like day one starter, starter potential, role player, backup, etc. So that's apparently how Weidel sets his board. That's going to be his role in Pittsburgh, what he did in Philadelphia to set the draft board. And then, you know, everyone kind of works off of that. So one difference appears to be that. All right, what are we about an hour and ten in? Uh, let's say hour hour fifteen or so. So yeah, that's a good show back. Glad right. to have you back on the show here, Dave. I still think you went on the darkness retreat with Aaron Rodgers. I'm still not convinced because you left on Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. And Aaron Rodgers did did his uh, Tuesday with with Pat McAfee, and I think was leaving right around the next day for the darkness retreat. So. I'm just yeah, I, I would be so luck, lucky to do one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a problem with, 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 with forcing myself to relax a little bit there. So uh, maybe I need to do more research into whatever a darkness retreat is. <laughs> All uh, right. We'll uh, talk uh, to Aaron Rodgers. Right. He'll fill you in. All right. Uh, good show. Uh, we will be back at it on Wednesday. We're going to try to effort a guest maybe on the Wednesday show. By then, hopefully the Steelers will have made uh, official the uh, Aaron Curry addition to the coaching staff. We'll see if there's any other new coaches that we'll be talking about. Then, obviously, we'll be talking, get more and more into uh, uh, free agency talk and, 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 and draft talk as we move forward. The combines right around the corner. I've already got some of the, the tracking sheets uh, set up for that way early than I usually do. So excited about that coming, especially with it looking like we're going to have a couple of uh, uh, contributors uh, in Indianapolis this year to cover it uh, this year. So uh, who knows what will be, you know, Wednesday's a long way away when it comes to the news cycle. So in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, The Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, go to steedersdepot.com, hit the donate button upright navigational bar. Also, if you'd like an ad-free version of the site, steedersdepot.com, hit the ad-free button upright navigational bar. Thanks again for uh, to uh, Josh Carney for sitting in for me a couple of shows there as well, too. And until Wednesday, as always, thanks for listening to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex.